Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's stand. I want to read from Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says, Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. So let's be a people of God this morning that that shows our love for him because he is so faithful, he is so good, he is true to his promise. So let's sing together. I was buried beneath my shame could carry that kind of weight, it was my turn, till I made, I was breathing but not alive, and all my failures I tried. And I ran out of that grave 
break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of heaven When I was broken, you were my healing Now your love is the air that I'm breathing I have a future, my eyes are open Cause when you called my name I ran out of that So this morning is a little bit different of a morning. Obviously, you know, we've been, we've all been stuck in our homes all week. Many of us didn't have water. I didn't have water for a couple days. And this morning I had water back and you know, I'm just I'm praising God this morning. I'm just, I'm so thankful for what he's brought us through this past week and uh, you know, I've been sick for like three weeks now with this just terrible cough and I'm, I was just in a, in a low place just getting depressed about being sick. You know how it is, you just wanna, you just wanna be better, you wanna be 100%. And, and God laid this verse on my heart this last week, Deuteronomy 7, which we just read. And it just, it just tells about the faithful promise of God, the, the, the God who is faithful lavishes his love on those who love him and those who obey his commands. And so this week I was just like, God, thank you for loving me and giving me the, the, the grace to love you. And so today more than ever, I'm just so adamant about proclaiming his goodness. I want to praise him. I want to be resolute today to worship my God. And I want all of us in this room to just enter this place of, thank you, God. I will praise you. I will worship you this morning because, because I love you and because you are worth it. So will you do that with me? Will you worship God? You, no one forced you to be here, so you obviously want to engage with God this morning. So before we sing our next song, let's be friendly, let's turn to someone, let's encourage, let's worship God by using our gifts in this moment to just welcome, be friendly, and then we'll sing.
to Great Commission Church. My name's J.C. Russell. And I'm Leah Brigantz. Welcome. Hey, Leah. Hey, J.C. You know, uh, this is kind of like quarantine 2.0, so yeah. um, I've been working on my comedy. You want to hear it? Sure. It's pretty good. Sure. What do you call all of these people who came to church in spite of a snowstorm? I don't know. You tell me. Icebreakers. That's, that sounds good, but I think they're more like the frozen chosen. Right, Jacob? Yeah. Anyway, well, guys, we've got a great service planned for you today. Uh, if you've got that worship guide, would you go ahead and grab that? You can see the, the kind of the flow of the service. We've got a few more songs. Uh, Trevor's going to have a, a wonderful message for us. You can also see some events we have coming up. Yeah, so some of the events we have, um, we are taking the GC kids to the Memphis Hustle Game. So make plans, bring your family. We'd love to have you all out for a night of fellowship at the Memphis Hustle Game. That date is in your worship guide. And also, summer camp. I know it's hard to think about summer camp right now, but close your eyes. The sun is out. The, the lake is fresh. And sign up your kids for, uh, for LFR. That can be found on our website and in the worship guide as well. And if you're new, um, we'd love for you to take that ministry card out. Fill out as much information as you feel comfortable with. We won't stop by your house uninvited. Um, the least you could do is put a prayer request on there. We'd love to pray for you yeah. and just yeah. know that you were here. Yeah. Uh, you can say hello just by filling this out. Like, like Leah said, we'd love to know that you're here. Uh, if you're new, uh, we've got a new here kiosk uh, out in the lobby. We, we've got a gift for you. We'd love to give it to you. Uh, if you want to know um, more about GCC, you want to get to know people, uh, we've got a connect group. It meets right after our first service. Uh, you're going to meet friendly people. You're going to have a wonderful Bible study, and you're going to get to know a little bit more about GCC. So if that's you, if you want to uh, get plugged in here, go ahead and mark, let's see, which one is it? Get to know people at Great Commission. Boom. I'm working on my comedy. It's not good. It's the top one. It's the top one. Get to know people at Great Commission Church. Go ahead and mark that. So there's some other steps on there. You can take those. Um, think about that as the as you hear the sermon today and um, use that as a, as a next step point for after the service. Um, so now we will move into the offering, and Kyle Brantz will set that up for us. All right, awesome guys. Thanks for uh, getting us up to date on everything we need to know. I'm Kyle. I do the missions here. Uh, this is, uh, I wanted to clue you in a little bit on what today was actually supposed to be, or it still is, but we just don't have our guest speaker. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and this is something that all of the uh, abortion clinics, or not the abortion clinics, but the uh, life choices uh, clinics that promote uh, uh uh, choice, or, or excuse me, I've really stumbled on this one, uh, but they, uh, but this is a Life Choice Sunday. They were supposed to have been here today, and we had to cancel with them today because of the road conditions, but they'll be back March the 3rd. So what we try to do uh, with all of our missions, all the things that we give money to, is we try to give you an open look in terms of what your dollars actually go to support. And had Life Choices been here today, they'll be here again uh, March 3rd. But what you would see, and even if you went and did research on them, is you'll see 
that they believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that these things are not choices, that it's the divine sovereignty of, of God. So what we like to do is help you to understand exactly where your dollars are going. Shortly after or uh, before they get there, we'll have another open look where Harvest Evangelistic Association, another one of the missionary groups that we support, They'll be here. They'll show you all of the different ways that they have spread the gospel, planted churches, all of the numbers involved with that. So you'll get to see firsthand exactly what our efforts, what your efforts are going uh, to support. So thank you uh, for that. So guys, if you will, come forward and we'll get ready to receive the offering. Again, thanks for being here today. Uh, and if you think about it, and when you get home to this afternoon, jump on Life Choices. Uh, website and you can see a little bit about what your dollars go and help support. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's, let's worship our God with one more song today. There is a truth
There is a name I call in times of trouble There is a song that comforts in the night There's a voice that calms the storm that rages Jesus, oh Jesus Who walks on the water stay in this moment together praising Jesus our Messiah worshiping the lamb who was slain I love songs that talk about God as the roaring lion that's how I picture him he's not he's not weak and frail he is a roaring lion and he loves his children Messiah, my Savior, there is power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. There is power in your name, Messiah. Messiah. My Savior, there is power in your name. You're my rock and my redeemer. 
pray this morning. We, we praise the roaring lion. We praise the God who bled like a lamb. And we worship you, God, because you deserve it all. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. We are about to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper. As members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together that we still believe in Jesus. We believe He is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim He is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
All right, we're midway through 29 Days of Promise together, and it's been a blessing for many. If you are new, join us in our opening of the year campaign called 29 Days of Promise. These devotional books that we print in-house are out in the lobby, free for everybody, and it's not too late. Just pick up on today's date and do these daily devotionals with us. Get on board with what we're doing. I got three items of housekeeping before I get to the teaching of the word today. I'm Trevor Davis, I'm, uh, the pastor here. And the first thing I want to say is if you are one of our members or regular attenders and you could not make it because of the snow and ice today, glad that you stayed safe. If you're watching online, here's how you can help us. Fill out a digital ministry card uh, because we need to, we're working on some statistics and some things projecting for the future, and we want to know what this crowd would have been like. So if you'd fill out a digital ministry card, here's how you do that. Go to gccob.com slash card, gccob.com slash card. Fill that out. Give us some prayers. Let us know you would have been here, and that helps us in that regard. Secondly, all of our prophetic people that have been working since the summer on our prophetic ministry teams, uh, if you're here today, after this service and after we pray for people, after, after the prayer ministry time's over, meet me right here. I've got some, some things to communicate to you as we look forward to our prophetic ministry Sunday next week. So all prophetic ministry people within the sound of my voice, come see me after the prayer ministry today. And then lastly, we need to stop and pray for a family in our church. Many of you know Austin Eldridge and his wife Ashley and their son Truett. Austin's normally over here playing his guitar and singing. Um, Austin is a law enforcement officer, and a couple of years ago, uh, he was out helping a stranded motorist and got hit by, by a car and lost his leg. And the other day, he's back on the job as law enforcement officer, gets out of his car to help a stranded motorist, and he has a fall on the ice. And so uh, I think he fractured his hip. He's at the med, the regional one, got surgery, so they're kind of back at that place again. And so um, it's just not good, and, but God is good. And so Austin gave me permission to tell the church uh, for prayer purposes, we, we want to stop right now and pray that God would bring relief and healing to Austin. He's gone through so much to minister to the heart of his wife, Ashley, as she's going through this emotional roller coaster again, and to their little boy, Truett, who has got to be confused and so forth. And so I just want to stop and call on God's name, and I want to ask you to join me in prayer. Father, we... We know that you're good. We know that things that happen in life that are not good. And we love Austin and Ashley and Truett Eldridge. And we're so glad that they belong to this faith family. And today we remember them. And we pray for them. And we pray that right now as Austin's laying in a hospital bed recovering from surgery or having already lost a leg, I pray that you would relieve his pain, that he wouldn't be uncomfortable, that he would get recuperating rest today, uh, that you administer to his spirit and fill him with the determination and the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for Ashley. Father, I pray you'd come right next to her, sit down beside her in that hospital room and minister to her fragile heart and her spirit. Um, God, I pray that you would govern her emotions and guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus with the peace that passes all understanding. And for a little true it, God, I pray that, that this won't be anything he remembers when he gets older and that you would begin to comfort him and give his security back as he looks up at mom and dad on the round, minister to him by the family and caregivers that he has. God, I pray that, 
This won't be a big setback for Austin. I pray that his prosthetic, prosthetic leg would still fit and that he wouldn't have to go through that process again. Get him back on his feet, God, and back at work. And God, I, Lord, with another great testimony to tell. But God, would you minister to our brother and our sister and their baby in Jesus' name? And a faith-filled church said, amen. amen. It's right that we did that. I'm going to be in three passages of Scripture today. So they're going to be in order, Daniel 4, Luke 15, and Joel 2. Daniel 4 is first, and I'll get to it momentarily. But what I want to tell you is that in John chapter 16, in Jesus' great discourse on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, here's what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit of God's job, as the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is, to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But it's very important who he convicts of that, the world. John wrote five books in your New Testament. The Gospel of John, three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the last book in your New Testament called Revelation. And John uses the term world extensively in his writings. And every time he uses the word world, he doesn't mean planet Earth, the planet. He means the group of people on Earth that make up the unbelieving. So you, as a Christian, are no longer part of the world. You're, you are in the church. The church and the world are the separation. And so this, the, the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. How can he do that if the church doesn't preach about sin? Where's the voice in the culture? Where is the conscience for society? It is found in the pulpits of the local church. It is found in the testimony of the living, breathing Christians that gather on the Lord's day. You, by your testimony of what you say and how you live, is what God uses to convict, to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And here's what we've learned over, in October will be 25 years of ministry for our church. Is that even when non-Christians venture out and attend one of our meetings on Sundays, not even them, not even they want to come to church and receive something here that they can get out there. They don't want a life coaching message here. And they don't want a, a rock concert or, or a classical music presentation that they can't enter into and participate with. Uh, they don't want a TED talk. Uh, they don't want unspecific general prayers. When people come to church, they say, give me what you can give me that no one else can. And so, today I want to preach a message to you in general, about sin and judgment and the nature of God. And the first thing I'm going to say to you is God is holy. Our God in heaven is no cosmic vending machine waiting for us to make a selection so he can give us our will. Our God in heaven is not a grandfatherly Santa Claus figure who smiles all the time and tells everybody, at a boy. 
the Bible says that God's a consuming fire. And Hebrews warns that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is holy, and that means that he's different. That means that he is set apart. It means that he dwells in a purity that, that men and women pollute in his presence because of our sinfulness. He's altogether different. And he's good. And his holiness means that he hates evil. And he expresses that hatred in at least two ways. The first way that God expresses his hatred for evil is that he saves people from sin. He's a rescuer. It's so bad and it's so serious that God goes on a rescue mission and out of all the mass of humanity that does nothing but rebel against him, out of his great love, out of his mysterious will, he plucks some out of darkness and out of the fire and puts them into the light and into the church. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, a baptized believer, he's done that for you. And he didn't do it for you because of your merit. And he, didn't, he did not do that for you because you're made up of better stuff than those who don't know him. He did that because he's good and he saves from sin. And that's one way that he shows his hatred for evil. The other way that he shows his hatred for evil is that he judges it. He judges sin. So yeah, you have a coin. And on one side of the coin, you have salvation. And on the other side of the coin, you have judgment. They are inseparable, and they are part of the same coin. His holiness on one side, his hatred of evil on the other. They're a package deal. They're handcuffed. I'm going to give you two quotes in this sermon today from that great prince of preacher from a different century in a different country, Charles Haddon Spurgeon of England. Here's the first one. Spurgeon wrote, you consider sin a mere trifle, scarcely worth thinking about, but God regards it as an evil and an accursed thing. And we need God's perspective when we come to church. Is it true that the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is his body on earth, yes or no? If that's true, then that means we are meant to be an agent of salvation on one hand and an agent of the justice of God on the other. Salt and light. Salt preserves and light exposes. But for the most part, the modern churches that I've seen and been a part of have lost this balanced perspective of salt and light, of salvation and judgment. You know what that's done? <laughs> it has robbed us of our dynamic power to transform culture. You know how I know? I read two more articles this week about boys or males engaging in female sports and winning the championships. I read about a male golfer who says he's a girl and he won the golf tournament for the girls. And I read and saw the picture of this guy who just has long hair and just a skinny little dude, long hair, and he says, I'm a girl, and, he play, and he's tall. So he, he, he decided to join the girls' basketball team, and for the last three games, he scored 25, 26, and 30 points. And his team is beating the, the, the brakes off of everybody they play. 
that is ridiculous. And in an earlier version of American culture, that never would have happened because the American culture had a conscience. It was called the church and its preaching. Does that make sense? And the saltiness is lost. The salt has lost its saltiness. And the, and the light, the batteries have been drained, and so it's dim. And if you're wondering about the madness all around us, you can place that in some senses at the feet of a very anemic church. By God's grace, we will not be like that. Amen? And so we, wanna, we want to have, we want to take this seriously. We want to give it the gravity it belongs to. We have compromised with the world to such an extent that we are no longer a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. Where is the voice, the prophetic voice, of John the Baptist, who boldly confronted King Herod and said, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. Where's the representative of God that says that God has a sexual standard? God has a standard for marriage? God has a standard for decency. Where's that voice that says, this is the truth. I don't care what it costs me. Because what did it cost John the Baptist? His head. Jesus saves sinners from real sins. Let me say it this way. Jesus did not die for ideas according to the culture. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Let me repeat that. Jesus did not die for ideas according to the culture. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And now that we have the groundwork set, did you know that sin at its very heart is irrational. When we consider the sins that we've committed, our sinful actions after we do them, after the fact, they never make sense. They're irrational. And hindsight always shows us the ways of escape when we find ourselves being tempted that God always provides and we basically nearly always disregard. But when we look back, we go, man, I could, have, I could have taken that exit ramp. I didn't have to go down this road. My brothers and my sisters, there is no coherent reason to ever rebel against God. Even after all the details are made known, even after the context has been clearly given, even after we find out what somebody said to you, what somebody did to you, what somebody failed to do for you, when it's all said and done and everything's known, we always think and believe, you know, when I did that, it was unwise. When I did that, it hurt people. Sin is irrational. And in your Bible, King Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel chapter 4, perfectly illustrates the irrationality of sin. Now, let me tell you about this guy. King Nebuchadnezzar, king in Babylon at the time of Daniel the prophet. And let me say that at the time, the kingdom of Babylon in, in, in that area of the world was the most powerful nation on earth. In fact, everybody was under the thumb of the king of Babylon in the known world. 
That means that Nebuchadnezzar was as high as you could get as a ruler. He's the same guy that sets up an 80 or 90 foot tall statue of gold on the plain of Dura and has all of the wise men and wise women and all the VIPs come and gather on the day that they did the ribbon cutting for the statue. And here's, here were the rules. King Nebuchadnezzar says, I know you people like music. So I've got the band. I've got the band here today. And when the band begins to play, instead of cutting the ribbon, Instead of dedicating the statue with, with some kind of plaque, we're all just going to bow down and worship it. And you'll know it's time when the music plays. And by the way, you need to think about the impact of music to your heart. Heaven's a place where people sing about the glory of God. And we understand scholarly, how do you say this? Bible scholars think that Lucifer, when he was one of the archangels, that one of his assignments in heaven was he had some authority over the music there. And so the music we choose to listen to is going to get in us. By the way, the word muse means to think. So, so music kind of governs what you think about. King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, the easiest way for me to soften your heart playing the music, everybody's going to bow down and worship this idol that I made. And by the way, very impressive idol. 90 foot tall, 90 feet tall statue, gold overlay, pretty impressive. When the music played, everybody bowed down. I mean, everybody. Every important person in all of Babylon and Persia bowed down, except for three guys. Three unknown dudes. Their names from their native land were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know them as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Daniel's small group, his three best friends. They didn't bow, and it was obvious because everybody else was on their face. So Nebuchadnezzar looks around and says, maybe those guys didn't hear me. So he goes up to him, he says, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to assume that you didn't have my instructions clearly in your head. We're going to strike up the band again, and you're just going to follow the crowd. When everybody else bows down, you do it. You know what they said? You don't need to start the music because we're not going to bow to your idol. And he goes, well, if you don't bow to my idol, I'm going to throw you and melt you in the fiery furnace. And he says, and they say, well, I guess we're going to go to the fiery furnace today. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. I'm going to crank the heat up, and we'll see if your God can deliver you. You know what they say to him? They say, whether our God delivers us or not, we're not going to bow down to your idol. Because we fear God's displeasure more than we fear your displeasure. So do what you have to do. Well, this made Nebuchadnezzar mad because he, he had put himself in a place where no one tells him no. And so he said, fire up the furnace seven times hotter. Now, how many of you guys and gals uh, burned wood in your fireplace this week? Any, any holy, awesome people? Right? I know, now, look, I, don't, I believe that flipping a switch is cheating and not the same thing all this gas stuff. But if you were like, look, I think I burned two cords of wood last week. And that, that's preacher talk. I mean, I burned a lot. I, I burned trees last week, not logs. I, I just kept it going. I have this thing called a bellows. You know what a bellows is? It's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but you just, you pump it and air comes out. 
And by the, by the time this week was ending, I was bored, hadn't been able to go do any exercise. And I'm like, I wonder if I just really crank this bellows real fast, how many sparks can I get to, how, how hot can I get this fire? And I was just working that thing, working that thing. And it, I mean, just an absolute pyrotechnic marvel, whoosh, that thing would just reignite those, those embers. And in Daniel 3, the embers get reignited so hot that the soldiers that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace were killed from the heat. And you guys know how the story goes. Not only did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not melt, the Bible says that when they came out of the fiery furnace, they didn't even smell like smoke. But while they were in it, they weren't in there just with those three. A fourth guy shows up, and Daniel 3 says, one like the Son of God. And when they came out of the fiery furnace and it didn't kill them, Nebuchadnezzar took notice. And he says, well, I must have been wrong. In fact, his heart was tender and he came to a kind of a, a change of mind that we might call repentance. And then, because he's the leader of the known world, Daniel chapter 4 is his open letter that he writes to everyone. And in Daniel chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, here's what he wrote. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. He says, look, I want to show you, I want to write to you about the miracles that God let me see with my own eyes. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Can you and I agree that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 3, Nebuchadnezzar is praising the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Can we agree to that? Yes or no? Okay, you need to remember that verse. There's another verse in this same chapter that, not like that. Because as soon as Daniel wrote this, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar wrote this, God sent him a dream. God sent this king a vivid dream, and it troubled him. And on his staff were men that King Nebuchadnezzar called his enchanters. And they were pretty good about knowing mysteries and telling the future and all this occult stuff. And they were pretty good with dreams, but when it came to this dream, they didn't have a clue what it meant. None of his enchanters could interpret the dream. And he said, is there anybody here? in my kingdom, that can tell me what my dream means. And, and he was told, well, there's still Daniel, one of the Hebrew captives. And in him is the Spirit of God. I'll bet he can tell you the dream. Well, here's the essence of the dream. In the dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a tall tree, like a sequoia, like a redwood, only way taller than that, a tree reaching to the heavens, a big, strong, massive tree. It was so big and so tall, you could see it throughout the whole earth. And everything was blessed by this tree. People, animals, the shade from the tree, the fruit from the tree. This tree served the world. It was a leader. But then an angel came along in the dream, and the angel made a declaration. Here's what the angel said. Chop down the tree. Chop down the tree, but leave the stump and the roots. Chop down the tree, leave the stump and the roots, and let the stump 
become like a wild beast for a time. End of dream. That's the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar told Daniel that he had. And when Daniel heard the dream, he was also troubled. Because as soon as he heard the dream, because of his gifting, he discerned quickly that the dream was sent by God to Nebuchadnezzar, and it was a sentence of judgment. So at first, Daniel didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream meant because my brothers and my sisters, you just don't need to get into the habit of telling people, telling someone who no one ever says no to, you don't bring bad news to them. And so Daniel's like, I don't want to tell this guy this. This is terrible. What's going to happen to me? But the king urged Daniel. He says, look, everything's going to be cool, man. Just tell me what it is. And you know what Daniel says? He says, oh, king, if only this dream was for your enemies and not for you. So what was the interpretation that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar? Here's the interpretation. He says, you know what that tree represents? That tree represents a very powerful king. And the chopping down of the tree and the preserving of the stump and the roots means two things. That king is going to lose two things. Number one, he's going to lose his authority. And number two, he's going to lose his ability to reason. And the king... Well, it's you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's the interpretation. And here's the sentence that God's going to put you under. You will be insane for seven years, living outside with the animals as if you were undomesticated and uncivilized yourself. And, you know long how, and do you know how long God says he would remain in this condition? He would remain in that condition until he knows, quote, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. You know what we find out? As soon as King Nebuchadnezzar comes off that high of the fiery furnace and writes that letter and tells everybody how awesome the king of heaven is, God gives him a dream, a, a dream of bad news, and God makes him sit with it for an entire year. What's going to happen? We pick up the story in Daniel 4, 29 through 31. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Does that sound like a different tune than what he sang back in verse 3 when he said, How great are the signs of Yahweh, how mighty are his wonders, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Let me tell you something. It doesn't take very long. If you're not fanning in the flame the embers around your walk with God, that you can go from up here spiritually and about a year later be like you never had that experience and you forgot all of it. And it can mess with your mind and how you think. Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. I told you the dream says you're going to lose two things. You're going to lose your authority. Here's the loss of his authority. And then you're going to lose your ability to reason. And that happens in verse 33. 
that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And the, the prideful, arrogant king of the world is now living outside clucking like a chicken and eating worm food and his whole body's transforming into a man with no home. And I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. The contemporary English version says it this way, pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. But this is a story about one of the promises of God, this sermon. And the promise that we have of God that I'll get to at the very end today is a promise that God restores. And I'm giving you two illustrations from the Bible of what God restores. And the first one from Nebuchadnezzar is this. God restores sanity. And the reason it's a timely word is because men and women and students come in here every week and life has punched you in the face. And your decisions that you sowed, you're now reaping uh, the results of those and the consequences of those decisions. And you feel like you're losing your mind. You just can't think straight. Uh, you, you can't clear your head. And you suffered. You suffered in your sanity. And God is getting ready to do something for King Nebuchadnezzar as an example of what he'll do for you. And here it is in Daniel 4.34. At the end of the time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That's an act of repentance. And my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. God turned it around. As soon as the first service was over, a man in our church who's new made a beeline to me, and he said, that King Nebuchadnezzar's story, that was my story. He said, I was sitting on my back porch, chain smoking and crying. And my wife came out to me and said, what's wrong? And he says, I feel like I'm losing my mind and I've been in this situation. I've been in this condition for the last seven years. And he said, I got to the end of my rope and God was there at the end of the rope. And Jesus saved me and he brought me out of that. He restored my sanity. Well, that's the first story. It may not be as familiar to you as the second one. An even more familiar story of restoration in the scriptures is Jesus' parable of the prodigal son, which I preached extensively on last fall, and I'm only going to give you just a part of that. But the essence of that story goes like this. A rebellious son, a rebellious young man, longs to be free from all the authority structures that he knew growing up his father, his older brother, the village he was born into. He does something way out of character, way out of the ordinary, something that brings shame to the family and not honor. He goes to his living father and he says, I know I'm not supposed to have this until after you die, but I would like my inheritance now, sir. And with trembling 
In his heart, the father reluctantly agrees to give him and his brother their inheritances. And what happens to the prodigal son? He hurries into the world headlong, and he quickly squanders his fortune in immoral and godless living. And then everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong spiritually. Everything goes wrong naturally. He hits rock bottom as a wandering Jewish man, humiliating himself by getting a job feeding pigs on a Gentile farm. It's as bad as you can get in that culture if you're Jewish. So, hungry and ashamed, he makes up his mind to go home and to grovel to his dad for a job to make him like one of the hired servants who lives off the property and comes in and does all the grunt work, gets paid by the hour and goes home. That's what he said he's going to do, but he knows there's no guarantee. He knows that waiting on him is an offended village who may do a ceremony and cut him off forever saying, you can't come back here, you're not welcomed. You shamed your father and us. We pick up the story in verse 21 of Luke 15 of God's restoring. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, He doesn't even talk to the son. He says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And in that speech that the father makes to the household servants, he gives us a list. And it's a list of four things that the father has for the wayward son. And the four things that the father has for the wayward son shows you the level of restoration this father does for his son. First, he says, bring out the best robe. Well, who does the best robe in the house belong to? You can find that in the father's closet. It represents the father's majesty, the father's success in life. He says, go get my robe and put it on this boy. So that everybody knows I've welcomed him back. You see, that best robe restores him to full status as a son. And it tells the village, I've accepted my son back. You accept him too. Bring the best robe. Then put my ring on his finger. If this was told in 2024, we would say, give him my credit card and make him a signatory on my checking account. Put the ring on his finger. He can now transact business in the community on my dime. When he pays, it is as if I am paying for it. And he is fully entrusted with the household resources. And then he says, put sandals on his feet. I want everybody to know he's not a servant. Servants go barefooted in my house so that we know where you are on the organizational chart. My son wears sandals. He commands the servants. This was to clarify his status to the work staff. And then lastly, maybe best of all, if you're just going to have a family celebration because the sons come home and you're just going to feed the family and some of the household people, you just kill a goat. That's enough to feed the smaller group. A goat would do it. But the old man says, you kill the fatted calf. It'll feed 100 people. We're inviting everybody today. And we don't waste food here. Every bit of that calf's going to be eaten. 
Everybody from the community is coming because all the village are, is invited to this celebration so that the son will be reconciled not just to me, but to the whole community. You see, God restores sanity like in the case of Nebuchadnezzar. And in the case of the prodigal son, God restores status. And now, as we close, we're coming to our promise today. It's from the book of Joel. Joel is a short book, three or four chapters is all. It's a prophecy. It's bad news for God's people because they've been worshiping other gods and forgetting, living as if God isn't there. And so God opens the book and he says, I want you to tell your children, tell their children, and tell the next generation, I'm sending my army. I'm sending my army to judge your rebellion. And the soldiers in my army are about that big. And they fly around and they devour crops. They're locusts. In fact, if you read Joel 1 to 4, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. It was, a, it was bad news in that culture when the crops failed because everybody's dependent on the farmers. By the way, did you go to, did you go to the grocery store this week? Was that a good experience, a forgettable one? I don't, I don't need to know. I've already read all your stories on Facebook. <laughs> Some of you, that wasn't really a great testimony. But look, when, you go, when, when, when everything melts and you get to go back and live again, right? Go thank the people that work at the grocery stores and thank your truckers, right? Amazon doesn't grow the food. Right? You can't go to Amazon, right? Amazon's not even a place. You can't even order it on your phone. People work under the hand of God and under the grace of God and the sun shines and the rain falls and we get to survive. And for God to get their pe his people's attention, all he had to do was ruin the crops. So he sent his army of the locusts and they stopped ignoring God when he did. And they cried out to him. And here's, what, here's the promise. His response is Joel 2.25. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You know what God says? You made some really dumb decisions in your past. And it's not too big of a hurdle for me. If I, if I ever get your attention, I'll make your promise. If you come to me, I'll give you back the years that you lost in your silly, irrational rebellion. I'll restore the years the locusts took. The Good News Bible says it this way, I'll give you back what you lost in the years when the swarms of locusts ate your crops. By the way, it's years, plural, it destroyed harvest after harvest after harvest. And God brought his rebellious people to their knees. And then he gave them this great promise. I'll restore it all if you come to me. At the end of the first service, a lady came to me. And she said, you didn't know me then. You did my wedding to my second husband. You didn't know what I did to my first husband. She said, I committed adultery against him and he divorced me. And I went to my pastor at the time because I'd ruined my life and I was only 20 years old. And she said, 
I was so thrilled to hear this promise again today because that's the verse he took me to way back when I ruined my life. Joel 2.25, that if I would come to Jesus, he'd give me back the years the locust took. And, he, and she said, Pastor, you now know my family and my children. You didn't know that me. What you know is the, and she said her name. She said, you know the person that God gave back the years the locust took. So I want to say to you today that everybody needs to come for prayer. And everybody needs to come for prayer and say, God, there's something in my life I need you to restore. It might be my sanity. It might be my status. It might be something else completely. Here's that Charles Haddon Spurgeon quote I promised you. Because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he's a loving God, he will hear. How do I apply this message to my life, Pastor? Why should I love this promise? Two reasons. You should love this promise that God will restore to you the years the locust took from you because what it teaches about his character. His last word is never judgment. It's always salvation. Go look at it in the Bible. When he declares judgment on the people, he always ends with, and here's the remnant that I rescued who came back to me. His last word is never judgment. It's always salvation. That's why John 6, 37 is true. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. No one has ever said, I want to get my life right with God, and has come humbly to God and said, can I be one of your children? And God say, no. He won't cast you away. It doesn't matter what you did. And you should love this promise lastly because of what it teaches about my past and your past. I don't have to be imprisoned by my foolish choices and my sinful actions. He'll restore to me the years the locust took. Now let me tell you why you should come for prayer today. Jesus asked his disciples on the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him so that they would not fall into temptation. And they refused to pray and they all fled from Jesus. And then when he rose from the dead, he said, I want you to watch and wait and pray and I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And this time they did pray, they did what he said, and they prayed to the Lord and they got prayer and the Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost and the, back, and the book of Acts says they turned the world upside down. And there's something you miss when you don't pray and there's something that you get when you do. And so our application day is to come and be prayed for. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I want you to take the preaching of your word, filter it in these ears, clean up where I messed it up, build your church up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we conclude, before you sign off online, don't forget to fill out that ministry card, gccob.com slash card. Everyone else, you can place these on those metal buckets on the way out. You'll see those at the end of every row. Also, don't forget, we have some 29 Days of Promise. So if you want to go ahead and pick up, uh, today is on there. You can go ahead and pick up and start going through that devotional. Hey, we're going to pray for each other before we leave. Uh, so prayer ministry team, come on forward. Get lined up. Uh, everyone else, you can stand up, stretch out a little bit, get your stuff. Uh, hey, come forward. Line up. You know, we're not, there, there's no reason to get out there. It's still cold, y'all. Uh, the snow ain't going nowhere. You don't have to get out anytime soon. But hey, you are dismissed. Come forward for prayer.